listen, and I shall tell you many tales. Come in here, that you may know when all belief fails. Man created God in his own image. This is why God should be so limited in the scope of his power. And this is because man is limited. Omnipotence, as we perceive it, forever lacks a freedom from the context of what we can imagine.
if a true God does exist, he must operate in a capacity beyond anything that we could ever conjure, even in our limitless imaginations. To, to say it's beyond our possible understanding is even incorrect. For to imply mystery is to imply a possible solution. And so we must accept the fact that our existence, whether ordained or not, is absent of a true God's influence. But that doesn't mean that the gods begat of man do not wield immeasurable power and often dictate the course of human history. No one knew from where they'd come. They emerged all at once, the five of them. There was Reagan, the burly man, and his little brother Rafe. And there was Jared, the yawning, insatiable maw. And Serpente, the always umbrellaed, pinstriped gentleman with the gilded tongue. And finally there was Orain, the formless voice that spoke within our heads. They had a uh, less than auspicious debut, though. <laughs> they tried declaring themselves publicly several times. <laughs> Standing in the central squares of the most populous cities around the globe, and bellowing to the population that they had come to free humanity from its bonds. <laughs> People, accustomed as they were to false prophets looking to make a profit, paid them little mind, barely even turning ahead as they walked past. Disbelievers, Reagan would shout at them. Paradise a make to come of we, added Serpente. Frustrated, they retreated to their realm to sulk and strategize a new approach. Reagan raged, screaming an earth-shaking yawp. The ingrates have called us forth. And now, and now they, they fail to acknowledge our majesty, our majesty and, divinity. and divinity, said Orin, echoing from within. Jared merely grumbled and groaned. Word our carry to mana need we, said Serpente. Flame our to spark the bee shall he. Yes. 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 We shall get, we shall get them, them one by one if we must. A new, A new Eucharist for mankind, added Orin. They sought a prophet, a bringer of their word, a man to tell their story. No one knew anything about the bard, not even his name. He seemed to emerged from the ether, bringing with him tales of creation and destruction. But he was a man, of that I am sure. For he once confided in me the circumstances which led to his ascension to be the augur of the gods. He said that after a fitful night of sleep, he'd awoken in pure dark. He described it not merely as an absence of light, but rather a tangible substance, thick enough to feel pressing on his skin, and tinted such 
that all light might be absorbed, unable to escape. And he said that he felt heavy, like the gravity was trying to prove a point. And then he heard the voice. He couldn't find any source, for it came from no particular direction. No, it, it sounded like it did when you hear yourself speak, reverberating through the skull, not infiltrating through the ear. You are, you are the, the singer, singer of songs, songs teller, teller of tales. Of tales. You, shall you shall sing, sing our songs, songs tell, tell our tales. tales. He didn't respond beyond holding his breath. <laughs> when a voice comes from within your own head, but is not in your own voice, your first instinct is not to respond to it. It's, it's to disbelieve it. Ignore it. He swept his hands out in front of him, grasping for anything around him. He took three timid steps, he found nothing. Light everlasting, our uptake to chosen bin have ye. Every breath the bard took chilled his lungs, and he could feel the blackness slither in and out of his throat like a serpent. A dream, a dream, the bard whispered to himself. A dream, a dream incarnate child. child, the voice shook in his head. And with the final vibration, a dim light, no larger than the point of a needle, became visible to him. It seemed as far off as a star that had burned out billions of years ago. Nevertheless, he moved toward it. He walked until his legs ached, in total silence. Finally, he stopped. <laughs> Staring at the light in anger, he screamed. He swore he saw it shimmer. He started to take a step, but placed his foot down midway through his stride, and instead extended his hand out, holding it flat, palm up beneath the light. He cupped his hand, curling his fingers up, and found a light no bigger than a grain of sand cradled in his palm pulled it to him and studied it. It had no weight, no mass, and as he stared at it in his hand, he felt the urge to weep at its magnificence. And then, he got the uncontrollable urge to consume it. He brought it up to his mouth and stuck his tongue out onto his hand, curling it back and drawing the light back past his teeth and down his gullet. And then he was falling. He looked down, and he could see the darkness rushing by as he hurtled through a canal toward a light which widened rapidly. And then he was standing upon earth, and around him were the new gods. Serpente offered him a silk handkerchief. Brow your four, he said. The bard took the handkerchief and mopped his brow and the back of his neck, which were both understandably saturated. I will bring you to mankind, he said. 
Mankind has already brought us to them, said Oren. We need you to bring mankind to us. Heart inconstant, and in mind fickle has man. Burden thee without be with life. What not knew he, because life entire his for cursed as he shackles in thee, remain would he. The bard was silent for a moment, looking down at his bare feet digging into the earth, feeling it between his toes as wisps curled around. He occupied a waking dream plane, so sure of the reality of his feet connected to that dirt, and yet so convinced of the impossibility of his being there. And then he understood that the distinction bore little weight in what he now experienced. Abstract or concrete, his perception was the only reality that mattered. And the only obstacle to bringing mankind to the new gods was the infinite variation in perception among the people. They would need to align all channels into a uniform broadcast of the reality that they presented, where all would see a single truth. In dreams, the bard said quietly. The new gods exhaled audibly, Jared's breath blowing a wind around them. They'd been holding their breath in anticipation of the bard's response. Them of what? Serpente responded. That is where you'll find the trailhead that leads to the heart of man. Why not show him our power? Reagan growled. The time for that will come. But man has been trained to disbelieve his eyes, his ears. A hundred years ago, that might have worked. But so much of our society now pivots on lies dressed as spectacles, tricks. All that awes us now is the audacity of the lie. No, you cannot show them the truth any longer. You must make them feel it. And then they will believe you believe in you.
O lost, O faithless, hear me. I've come to tell you of your salvation. We have entered the winter of mankind. You have felt the cold, no doubt. And just as the flower withers, so too shall man. Natural law demands it. That which rises must fall, pulled inexorably toward a center that never relents, until all shall be merged in ultimate dark. So cometh the new gods, who bring the light of a new day to spread a new spring. Turn your face to them, and bask in their warmth. Feel your heart thaw. Smell them in every newly opened blossom. Taste them in every drip of honey. Hear them in every soft coo that brings ultimate peace to your soul. Celebrate. Embrace your neighbors and rejoice in your deliverance. Slough your old feuds and shed your vendettas. For you are baptized and purified by the light of a new dawn. And with that we awoke. A warmth emanated through our chests and out to our limbs, as if crepuscular light might shoot from our fingertips. The world was shifted, but each individual thought that their dream was their own. A personal epistle. It wasn't immediate. It spread slowly at first. But as husbands chatted with wives, sisters with brothers, friends with friends, all eager to tell of their remarkable dream, they discovered that they could recite the bard's address in unison, of which the coincidence was too great to fathom. And then it was reported. Around the world, every person had had the same dream. No one knew quite what to make of it. Some, the ones with a natural eagerness to supplication, founded churches, which mostly consisted of communal sleeping, <laughs> trying to share another dream, receive another message. And Thirty-three days after the first, we got one. This was different, though. It did not come in everyone's natural sleep, coming in a wave with the rising moon. Instead, we were all struck at once. One instant awake, the next asleep, all around the world, and we were all gazing upon the bard's enigmatic face. Come, all you faithful, and let me tell you of the brothers divine. Do not misunderstand when I use the term brothers, for their connection is far deeper than merely sharing a womb. They are two, but one. They are the swing forward and the swing back of the pendulum. The two colors that weave together to form another. Here, let me show you Reagan the greater and Rafe the lesser. 
They incubated together within the right atrium of the first human's heart. It was Reagan punching the walls that caused the heart to beat. Rafe walks with you through the interminable dark, the silence of this terrible existence, his hand on your shoulder, pulling you back from the mortal dangers which await you in every direction. Reagan has crushed mountains to dust with no more than his fists. And he gives that strength to you, emboldening your own fists, so that you may fight those dangers until none survive. Look upon them, so that you may know them when you see them, see them when you feel them, and praise them when you are saved by them. Blessed are the new gods, and praise the coming of the new dawn. And then we were awake, not but a moment after we'd fallen. <laughs> May as well have been no more than a blink. And so we had all become witnesses to Reagan, with his broad chest, heavy brow, and permanent scowl. His muscles trembled under his tightly drawn skin, so taut it looked like a drum face, as if it were barely able to restrain them from action. And then we saw Rafe quite diminutive compared to his brother. Gaunt, his ribs creating a whole range of peaks and valleys down the span of his chest till it fell into a great cavity in his abdomen, like the drop-off of a sea shelf. His sunken eyes were wide as he seemed to recoil, turning his chest away as if to protect whatever the fragile cage might have been protecting. And yet, despite his slight frame and timidity, you could all sense a great power and influence exuding from him, even beyond that of Reagan. Reagan may have been the fruit, but Rafe was the seed from which their tree sprouted. Hmm. Thinking on it now, it's really quite a shame that we hadn't seen them all at once. Might have prevented the natural preference to take root in so many. For the first becomes familiar, and the familiar becomes the unassailable. The next dream came 27 days later. Come, all ye faithful, and let me tell you of the great gape, the maw divine. Do not be alarmed by his corporeality. True, he may provoke a deep feeling of the uncanny, but no thing with the supreme majesty of a god could be counted among the things that man finds common. He is called Jared, incubated within the right ventricle of the first human's heart. Jared is he who will swallow the sorrows of mankind, and he will never be sated. He will never be full. He will never stop eating. Such are the sacrifices the new gods will make for you to ease your suffering. Look upon him so that you may know him when you see him and give thanks. Blessed are the new gods and praise the coming of the new dawn.
people were uh, less earnest in their embrace of Jared. Perhaps it was the notion of paying fealty to what was essentially a giant hole that was impossible to fill, and it can't be said that Jared wasn't in every way grotesque, but whatever the reason, while Jared did have his devotees, he was never the favorite of his kind. Ironic, considering how things would turn out in the end. The next dream came twenty days later. Come, all ye faithful, and let me tell you of the great gentleman of the north, south, east, and west. Marvel at his remarkable bespokes, woven with the silk spun of mankind's great spirit spider. He is called Serpente. Incubated in the left atrium of the first human's heart, Serpente speaks his truth to mankind with his gilded tongue. He holds his umbrella to the winds and the rains which would erode the foundations of man's greatest construction. Oh, so fragile. Look upon him, so that you may know him when you see him, and give thanks. Blessed are the new gods, and praise the coming of the new dawn. It's not hard to understand why, where people recoiled from Jared, they were drawn by Serpente. He wasn't the tallest of them all, though he wore lifts in his shoes, which were so polished one could gaze upon themselves in the leather, raising him to be on par with Reagan. His suit, a navy three-piece, pinstriped, shimmered in the light, and was cut to fit down to the molecule. It was the kind of dress that was stitched to inspire envy in those who would never have such a fine suit, for none of its like existed in the world. Beneath his jacket and vest was a crisp white shirt, whiter than any white of a physical object has any business being, seeming to reject all light which attacked it. His tie, which matched his pocket square, and was tied in a double Windsor knot, was a bright ebullient red, which bled down from his throat, disappearing behind his vest. The gold of his cufflinks matched his tie-tack, his belt buckle, and the double buckles of his monk-strapped shoes. He wore hand-stitched, unlined, and pointed lambskin leather gloves, brown, matching his belt and shoes. His umbrella was black, and he gripped it by its intricately carved ivory hook handle. His hair was perfectly coiffed, slicked back against his head, and parted on the left. When he smiled that remarkable smile of his, you could catch a glimpse of his golden tongue gleaming inside the dark of his mouth. And that tongue of his would be one of the greatest muscles flexed in the events which followed. The final dream came twelve days later. O oh, come, all ye faithful, and let me tell you of the great voice, the echo divine. Unlike the others of his tribe, I cannot show him to you, for he has no physical form. He exists strictly within each of us. He is called Orain, 
incubated in the left ventricle of the first human's heart. He is the voice that taught man spoken language and written word. He is the very foundation of communication. Quiet your mind and listen very closely. You may hear him inside, teaching, for he shall echo forever and ever. Give thanks to him and all his kind and praise the coming of the new dawn. Only the mad and the inspired could ever claim to hear a voice not their own within the hidden recesses of their own mind. That was until we all heard Oren speak to us. Imagine, if you can, the utter disturbance at hearing a foreign voice reverberate where only your own voice had ever been heard. More than any of the other new gods, Oren's presence omnipresence was the most unnerving and undeniable for even the greatest skeptics who could deny the evidence put forth by all their senses couldn't deny Orin and his penetrations he introduced himself to us with a warning just after we'd awoken from the bard's dream Orin prophesied a great calamity three days hence one that could be the undoing of humanity's reign over their dominion of Earth. Of course, at the time, we had no way of knowing that the gods could be as false as men. The Bard's plan had been simple and effective. He created a narrative for humanity to consume. He'd introduced his heroes to the world, 
and then on the third day he created a problem to which they were the only solution. It came to be known as the day the stars fell to earth. Serpente secretly conjured twelve comets, sending them all hurtling toward earth. Oren alerted us to their presence, telling us that it was the universe's urge to purge humanity from its short roster of life forms, claiming us to be unworthy of existence. Rafe gathered us together, covering us as we cowered before our ultimate demise in a bombardment of ice and fire. Oren told us not to fear as we watched the sky, the celestial fugitives growing ever larger as they rapidly approached. Like some color commentator, Oren bade us to watch as the events unfolded before us, leaving us somehow present in our bodies and watching from our limited perspective, yet also aware of the grandness and scope of the events on a planetary scale. We could see from the ground as Reagan shot into the sky like a rocket, breaking the atmosphere. But we could also see and feel up close his mighty fists colliding with the comets, breaking five of them with deafening booms which echoed across the entire world. And as the debris burned and rained down through the sky, Serpente spread his umbrella above us, sheltering us from the fire. What comets weren't broken by Reagan? were swallowed by Jared, who moved through the earth and spread wide his maw, taking them into the dark, bottomless abyss of his belly. We'd been delivered from what we believed would be our certain end by these new gods. After that, there weren't many who didn't prostrate themselves before them when they passed, or didn't make pilgrimage to the sites of their salvation, making offerings of their most precious possessions. An entire generation born in the years following the day the stars fell to earth bore the names of the gods, boys and girls alike, Reagan being the most common among them. Churches, <laughs> temples, were built with five altars. It ushered in a new age of religion, but it bore little similarity to those that came before it. It had no hierarchy of clergy because it had no clergy. No one needed a teacher. For faith was not a central tenet of this religion. No one had to believe in that which they could not see. But in that way, it, it lacked what prior religions, as impenetrable as they could be, possessed. A willingness to believe in that which was beyond their grasp or comprehension. When you witness something in the flesh, there's an inevitable dissipating, a tarnishing of the awe of the object that once inspired your imagination. It took a few years, but eventually people couldn't see what it was that first inspired them for the tarnish. A movement began, slowly and quietly at first, but growing every day. They gathered in places that had no altars, and spoke of man's destiny to hold dominion over this world. If the gods wanted to stay here, they must serve and not rule. And just like humans would do, they called themselves the humane. Hmm. <laughs> I've always thought it to be very revealing about humanity and how they think of themselves, 
with such a capacity and, well, appetite for cruelty and destruction that they would create a word that means to treat one tenderly and with the utmost sympathy, especially for those who are suffering, and name it after themselves. Anyway, the humane were pupils to a man called Rubish Alistair Cromwell, who professed the divinity of man himself. For if man had the means to create civilizations and the power to destroy them, then what distinguished God from man? Were the monuments of men truly any less majestic than those of God? Was building a city of millions where once there was naught but swamp truly any less impressive than even the highest mountain peak? These were his contentions anyway. And they were that which he used to embolden his armies when they made a war against the new gods. Temples were raised and holy sites desecrated. The new five paid it little mind. For even they knew that among humanity, no practice, no matter how concrete, was without dissent. They were, however, disturbed by the increasingly frequent eruptions of violence, which were now becoming a staple of the humane. They stopped waiting for the temples to be empty before they raised them. The true devoted, dubbed the inhumane, were bludgeoned if they refused to renounce the authority of the five and praise the divinity of man, and those devoted who took up arms against the humane were either killed in battle or, if captured, were put through the gauntlet, the end of which was the edge of a great precipice, and they had until the end to renounce the five or fall. Having been called into existence by the very people who now fought over them, the gods watched in dismay, but failed to act for far too long. They gathered within their holy plain, where they'd first enlisted the bard to bring them the beating heart of humanity. The bard was present at this conference, and later related the story to me. This about do we should what? Other each killing all are they? Serpente asked the others. Whatever, Whatever it is, we must put a stop to it. To it. We are their, we are their wards. wards. We are meant, we are meant to, protect to protect them, Orin responded. They've broken the covenant, Reagan growled. Yes, they've broken the covenant, Rafe parroted his brother. Jared grumbled incoherently. They all looked at each other, each waiting for one of the others to propose what they were all thinking. Why should, Why should we, we protect, protect them anyway? Orin whispered. The bard got that feeling like the bottom fell out of his stomach. Calamity from them saved we, yes. Us love and us fear to enough care, don't they yet? And we should show them our power. Yes, show them our power. Us fear them make, must we then? Us love not will they if perhaps... And if they will not fear us, we will wipe the slate clean and start life anew and make a people who will love us and fear us. Yes, they are unworthy of our salvation. Unworthy. My lords! The gods had forgotten that the bard was even there. My lords. Would you indulge me for a moment and let me tell you a story? The gods eyed him with suspicion, and with a certain disdain that they'd never before possessed for a human being. Must you if... Thank you. <sighs> <clears throat> the 
The story of man is not a flattering one, granted. To be sure, if one were to compare his general behavior throughout history to the behavior he holds as a moral ideal, the disparity would be so great that they might not ever be able to reconcile the two. There was once a man, his name has been lost to time, who once embraced someone who had been devastated by the untimely loss of the love of their life. For even the briefest of moments, he was able to give even the smallest quantum of solace by merely giving of himself, sheltering and weeping with they who were in the grip of ultimate suffering. There was once a woman who carried inside of her the child of another woman whose body would not bear it herself. And there was yet another woman who made an extra casserole every Sunday evening and gave it to her neighbors who had been struggling to make ends meet. My lords, the great mosaic of humanity may be an ugly picture and one that we will have to reckon with one day. But look closer. You'll find man's ideal and his worth in the quiet, in the moments, in the countless and unrecorded selfless acts that occur every single day between them. I implore you, I, I beg you, spare them. The gods studied him and took a breath, ready to make their decree, when all the air, or whatever it was they were breathing, fled their lungs and was pulled away. They were shook from their thrones by a sound like a titanic thunderclap, which rang in their ears, the ones that had them anyway, and then silence. Absolute silence. How is this possible? Yes, how is this possible? The bard, who had stopped breathing like the rest, yet didn't feel what humans would normally feel when starved of oxygen, looked frantically to the gods, who were themselves in a panic. "'What is happening?' he asked, fearful. "'Plain holy hour upon encroached to someone. "'It's Cromwell. It's Cromwell. "'Impossible! "'No man could trespass here without sanctification. "'No man! "'Here, look! "'He is through the fissure!' "'He brings, he brings him with him the men of, of war. war. "'They mean our destruction! "'Our destruction!' "'The bard told me the next moment seemed to freeze. "'A winter of chilly realization.' that the blooms of war were ready to burst forth and spread their seeds of destruction. Destroy them. It was but a whisper, but it mustered the gods to war. At once Reagan was on earth, and his assault began. His fists shook the ground, and earthquakes crumbled man's cities to dust. Orin whispered in mankind's ears from within, driving many to madness and suicide. Rafe stampeded all the livestock into the sea, and many more starved. And Serpente, he made a storm which engulfed the earth. Wind and rain, thunder and lightning, a hurricane of reckoning. Any humans that remained were pushed to the ends of the earth, where Jared was waiting, willing and hungry, and he swallowed them up. The gods were most decidedly victorious. Sometime later, 
Once the glow of their victory had dimmed, they began to try to make their own race, one that would worship and love and fear them, no matter what. I tried many times, sculpting men of various materials, clay, wood, granite. They even gave of their own flesh, their own blood, but never once could they give one life. Please consider these things in your judgments, and listen to the music of the inimitable Masako, whose notes dance to the turning of the earth.